Okay, hello and welcome to the Skeptic Hangout, the place where we sit back, relax, and discuss some of humanity's most controversial and intriguing concepts through the lens of skepticism, even when we're at the beach. Um, we have with us today Richard Gilliver from Skeptic Takeout, Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me, from the Yorkshire Atheist. Today, we are going to be discussing labels. They came up quite a bit last week, and I think we have a lot to say on the matter. So grab your English tea or whatever fruity drink you take to the beach with you and join us as we discuss all the ways in which we categorize, label, relabel, recategorize, well, just about everything. This is episode 20, Labels. So labels, what are we thinking about with labels, Mr. Gill? Well, I know last week we talked a lot about labels. So if you haven't, if you know people watching haven't checked out our last episode on humanism, uh, that was kind of where the inspiration for this episode came from, wasn't it? So because um, we talked about how I identified with the label humanist. Oh, Laura's dropped out. Okay, hopefully she'll bob back in again. Um, yeah, I identified with the, the label humanist and even though lots about that sort of, yeah, descriptor, that label fit with you and Laura, neither of you identified with that label specifically. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And I think a lot of it comes down to not only just like what um, labels we give ourselves, but what labels we give other people as well. Hmm. Um, sorry, I finished a thought just as you took a drink. <laughs> You're right. It's good. I thought it was interesting last week. This is literally the first episode. For for those who were watching or listening who don't know how we work, basically what we do is we kind of just come up with ideas for episodes and we have a big kind of spreadsheet where we just input them as as and when they come along. So we've kind of got like maybe years worth of episodes written down. Last week was the first time we were actually recording the show and it was the first time actually on the fly we thought this is a really good idea for an episode let's do it yeah. so we've jumped straight in and we're doing it this week yeah. and we're having loads of technical difficulties so whether that's got anything to do with labels i don't, I don't know but well, i don't think so but i mean i think certainly laura's selfish fault for deciding to celebrate the fourth of july weekend uh certainly laura's fault um, and both of us are not jealous at all about her trip to this massive oh. lake in the middle of the Nevada desert. And it's no. absolutely chucking it down in <laughs> Just <it>. awful. <laughs> awful. Well, um, I just wondered what are some of the labels that you identify uh, as being sort of, yeah, labels that you use to identify yourself, Chilva? Um, well, it's funny because I, I do use, I do attribute a lot of labels to myself. So uh, I use labels, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Hi, Laura. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> You're a bit sideways, I don't know. Is it sideways? I'm landscape like I was before. Did it turn me funky? Let me try this then. That's it. Hello. Hello. Okay, so maybe I can't do landscape like I was before. So, so we're jumping in with what we're talking about is labels uh, and yes. what labels we apply to ourselves. So I'm just saying the labels I apply to myself are father, uh, husband, uh, I'm a bass guitarist, I'm a skeptic. And those are the kind of the main labels I apply to myself because the labels that attribute to large areas of things I do now in my life. Yeah. I've used other labels in the past. I've, I've, you know, I've used martial artist, wrestler when I was doing those things when I was younger. And their labels that I attributed to myself in the past, but it's a dynamic thing. It changes constantly. Yeah. I know some of, like, most of my social media bios is essential. I think I mentioned this last week. It's basically just a list of labels. So I'm just going to read you my Twitter bio. Um, so I'm 30. I'm a teacher, Hello. husband, linguist, musician, Ravenclaw, father, humanist, Hoovian, 
like a Doctor Who fan, atheist, socialist, and Yorkshireman, not necessarily in that order. Um, and I'm, so, I'm glad you met and described see, what a Hoovian was because I had no. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where if you don't know, you don't need to know. No. <laughs> if, if you I don't know. Um, what I think is so amazing about that is that, like, all those labels you just gave, you really think about it, that tells a lot about you. Like, that mm. gives a lot about who you are just in those few little labels that you put in there. Yeah. Um, and actually, they sort of describe me in different ways. So, some of them, it is, it's, my relationship to other people so the fact that i am married and the fact that i have children describes that i'm a husband right. and a father whereas some of it's to do with my outlook on life um so like mm-hmm. humanists like and, ravenclaw. And atheists and ravenclaw absolutely <laughs> um do you ever do you associate with a harry potter house that's a very important um no. character trait for millennials but i don't know no. of your generation <laughs> My, uh, I've seen I've seen all of the films. My children and my wife uh, are interested in the films. I've watched films. I'm, I don't mind the films. I can sit through them. My my biggest single memory of Harry Potter, and I want to get onto Laura's labels in a minute as well. But my single biggest memory of how Harry Potter was. I'm I'm a postman by trade. That's the job I do in real life. And uh, I, uh, when one of the Harry Potter books was released years and years ago, because I've been have been incredibly old i've been doing the job for a long time and one of the and i remember delivering it to this she she must have been about 13 or 14 this girl and i didn't even get down the path she literally came out of the house flung her arms around me took the package (laughs) off me she obviously presumed it was hers and went, thank you, you're my favourite postman ever, and ran into <laughs> back into the house while unwrapping the thing, and that was the end of it, and that was... So... <laughs> I'll never forget, that was such an endearing memory. <laughs> wow, that's actually kind of adorable. <laughs> that's really lovely. <laughs> I love it, Fantastic. So, Laura, what labels do you use to describe yourself? I think we were asking the same question at the same time, Jennifer. Oh, so, okay. Um, I think my labels change pretty fluidly. Like, honestly, I think that they, they change uh, like day to day, year to year. So like right now in this moment, um, labels that I can think of just off the top of my head, um, mother, daughter, sister, wife, um, friend. Um, oh gosh. So they're all relational labels that are on the top of my mind right now. But then I really hesitate to use labels such as either like, um, democrat or even like middle of the road um or liberal or conservative i'd say more liberal um atheist is one that i'm comfortable with but really that just it it's definitional um humanist like we were talking about last week i struggle with that like i don't know and the only reason i don't know is i have embraced so many labels in the past and then discovered later that maybe it doesn't fully apply to me after all or maybe all the baggage around it doesn't quite apply to me. So I'm struggling with things like, like humanist. Um, even with atheists, I'd be careful how and when I use it, right? Um, I would say labels that describe like who I am in terms of like my sexuality or things like that. Um, I have those labels as well. Um, shoot, I don't know. There's just so many of them. Mm. Like I don't know what we want to get into or how long we want to talk about them, but... I think it's really interesting that uh, both you and me have uh, have said that we kind of use them fluidly and they're changing. Yeah. Mine are very set. I've written them down. <laughs> they're in a list. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do, do, do you consider that those labels that you've applied to yourself, that you've got on your Twitter thing, are kind of things you've had for a long time and haven't changed or are not likely to change? That's interesting. I think certainly that list of... Um, that list of labels in my bio I've added to and taken away from every now and then, but th- this is kind of like the, the ever sort of ever existing They're list of labels. Pretty standard. And I get, yeah. yeah. And I, I guess I think, and again, we mentioned last week, some of those labels are just more important to me sometimes than others. Um, but I think all of them generally apply to me all of the time. It's just like nice. a, a Ravenclaw, for example, isn't like, I mean, it's definitional in terms of like it describes some character traits of mine, I guess, and some things that I value, but it, it's not necessarily the most important, you know, thing in the list. Um, is it something that you something like that? Is it something that you apply to yourself? Because thinking about the way I kind of describe mine, like, for example, bass guitarist, it's not something I actually apply to myself. Mm. 
it's someone that's useful as a descriptor if someone's asking yeah. rather than it be I don't walk around thinking to myself I, I am a bass guitarist you know <laughs> well, and using those labels then I would have to call myself stuff like singer musician hiker yeah. swimmer biker like everything that I enjoy doing you can take what it is that I enjoy and what I'm passionate about I'm artist writer you know and um, you can start creating these labels around it. But then when you really break that label down, you're wrong. Have you lost your as well? That's who I am. So oh, you see, like, like the, the bass guitarist, right? Like, that's just, it's something that you, that you know how to do, yeah. right? The label really just helps people, I don't know, to understand more, like, that's, that's more of a part of you. But it's more of an activity you do, too. So it's, it's yeah. interesting the way we use labels to describe different facets of ourselves. You know what I'm I, saying? I, yeah, I don't think I really, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I'd use like in the way Gil has. Like identifying with like like Ravenclaw with a certain fictional school or or, or, or whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is. Oh, I can school. totally see that. Like I would call myself like a Trekkie now that he mentions it. Like, right. and when you say Trekkie, like that means a lot, right? And, yeah. um, and we've lost Laura again, I think. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. It, I don't know. Like, oh. there are fictional, like, you talk about people who identify as Jedi, right? Yeah, and that's interesting because on the UK census, we kind of, there were a lot of people, it's, and it's gone back a couple of times when the, the census is released every 10 years, and I can remember from at least 20 years ago, possibly even 30, where people as religion wrote Jedi in the religion section. And there was kind of a big campaign to get that as, as a recognised thing. I think if it hit so many, it got recognised as an actual yeah. thing. I don't know what the, what the truth is about that, but that's kind of the rumour that went around. Here's something that I think is a very interesting aspect to this as well which is how people can use a label, but people, different people can interpret cool. it in different ways. So I I know, for example, with Brexit being uh, quite a big deal over the last few years, you may have heard of it. Um, now, for example, often when you see someone on Twitter who's got like the word European, you know, they're British and they've got the word European as one of their labels in their bio, that gen, even though it's an accurate descriptor of every British person, you know, from yeah. a technical perspective with Britain being in Europe, usually that means as a signal to other people, I am pro-European Union. Um, and so it's a word where like oh, you can accurately describe people as being European, but it also signals to other people a specific political stance too. So in, in, in that respect, Laura, in the US, because it, yeah. it was, there was the, kind of the controversy a few years ago, controversy for some, of getting rid of the, the rebel flag, flag. And now it seems to oh, be... Oh, that's still ongoing. Yeah. With the thin and blue so, line flag, which is kind of taking over it as kind of the symbol of like, American. <laughs> yeah, what I think was... we have both of those now. And I think... Oh, go ahead. You were going to ask a question about, about them. No, I was I was just going to say what what's the relation with with kind of people who identify in those things? Do they have a specific label they apply to themselves? I don't know, like the the Confederate, like they're still like the Confederates, right? The ones that that still fly the Confederate flag and stuff. And um, I don't know the label that people would give, like with the blue flag, the the pro pro police or pro um, law enforcement. Like I don't I don't know what label they give themselves. Um, they tend to be lumped in with a lot of like the the conservative Christian groups, you know, but they are their own thing and, and you don't necessarily have to be conservative or Christian to to support that cause. But I think that those two things are perfect examples of what Gil was saying about how a label can mean different things to different people. Yeah. So that that Confederate flag thing and and labeling yourself a Confederate, like or even a supporter, to you it might mean something completely different than someone on the outside, right? And, you um, hear lots of people using so that sort like of terminology and, and those sorts of things to explain a sense of pride. In, and I don't know enough about this to speak on it with any sort yeah. of authority, but like to talk about a sense of pride in their ancestors and sort of uh, with the South in general mm -hmm. and stuff. Whereas obviously 
uh, most people associate those symbols and that sort of labeling as specifically being racist and pro-slavery slavery. And that, like, yeah yeah and, and that's something i didn't associate with, with, <clears throat> with for a long time when i was growing up because being ignorant of the history of america and things as i when I'm, I'm talking i'm going back like 35 years uh when i was like a boy and obviously i was ignorant of american history and i i just associated the rebel flag with the dukes of hazard it was just a TV show, and it, it was just like right. It was. Right. It was. It was something cool. It wasn't. It wasn't something like to be like ashamed of or repelled yeah, by. Yeah, there's that too, where I it's just older. sort of a cultural thing. Yeah, where it's just sort of part of the the cultural history or the the upbringing, or yeah, where it doesn't have any deeper meaning. I think that there's all those different things. There's there's the really deep racist type meaning. There's the the national pride meaning, and then there's the I just grew up with it, and it's just a symbol of like my culture and my, and my society. Yeah. And there's really no deeper meaning to it whatsoever. And um, I think that both of you make a really good point that um, when you're talking about applying labels, um, God, it's almost like they could be used for like good or for evil. Like one single label, it could be used as a, a mark of pride, but it could also be used sort of as a, um, like that same exact label could be used to slander somebody, yeah. right? Like, oh, you're racist because of like your ties to the Confederacy or whatever. Versus, um, oh, you're proud of your nation's history, or or you're you're proud of being from the South. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to me how how labels can take on so many different meanings um, depending on your view of it. Yeah. How how should we address that if we come across someone who, who was like me, who, who who remained ignorant of of America's history and the the place that flag played in it? Uh, yeah. How would how would you explain to someone who was where I was and who, who was politically neutral on it, but just looked at it favorably from a cultural standpoint, how would you explain right. to them that they were wrong in, in that, in the way they were viewing it and how you, they should really be educated and, and not see it as a, a positive thing at all in any respect? I don't know. See, I'm a little bit, this is where I'm going to get a little bit controversial. I don't necessarily think that people need to necessarily be educated on every single, like the history of every single symbol and every single thing. So I think if someone does have sort of an innocent view on it, I think we should be more accepting of that and we should be more um, flexible with that and less, and less needing to make, because what happens is when you, when you start saying, okay, now everyone needs to be educated on its history and needs to be told that it's bad. Now you're starting to make things like symbols and ideas good or evil and you're starting to give them way more power than they deserve so and, and the, the same can be applied to labels like you say okay i'm gonna make the label uh, pansexual bad right or i'm gonna educate them on what it really means um now you're starting to take that label and give it power that it really doesn't need right so i think allowing people to have that sort of innocence and not think so strongly about that label is actually <coughs> better than trying to give that label a specific meaning with a specific set of good or bad intentions behind it and i don't know if that makes quite, any sense that reminds me quite clearly of the whole thing in and again talking about america in the past but like how the anti-communist um stuff in the cold war in america really turned people against like labels such as socialist for example to the point where right. people think Perfect that example. universal healthcare is a bad thing because it can be described with the label socialist even though yeah. actually when you describe the, the fundamentals of those systems and talk to people who live in countries with those systems, socialist healthcare is the thing that people absolutely adore about their countries. And, you know, there are problems mm. or whatever else. But and it works for that, them. Yeah. But, but it's that label socialist, which people in the past have assigned a moral judgment as this is an evil thing, a bad thing, a, a thing that we need to destroy and take down which has led to people having those attitudes nowadays, exactly. which uh, just completely don't make sense with the actual concept. Yeah, that's why I like when people take labels and they kind of own them, right? Like you take a label that started out evil, like, and I'll, I'll start with a really, really tame one, like calling a woman a bitch, right? And that, that label of like bitch me, having meaning and having um, like stuff that goes along with it. When you say that you have all these ideas of like, oh, she's like a really big pain in the ass. She's outspoken. She's strong. She's rude. She over, she's overbearing. Right. And then women take it and we start owning that label. And now it starts to break down its, its um, power and it no longer has that same sense. So I call like, I'll be like, 
wow, you're one hot bitch. Right. Or, um, like I have a group on my, my Facebook chat, right. That's like, um, badass bitches, right. And it's all my friends and there's women and men in this group. And, um, and we just like, Hey, what's up bitches. Right. And we kind of break down that label to where it actually means something good or something empowering. So I think that there's, there's a real benefit to taking those labels that have been decided by society or decided by a specific group of people. Like this is a negative label and this is the meaning that we are assigning to it to take it back and take power. And there's other labels I can think of, but then they start getting more like controversial and touchy. Um, but I, I like seeing people do that, like take labels that are made to hurt them and made to be negative inherently and changing the meaning around until it, it breaks down all that power. Yeah, it's funny because it's actually, I've, I've, I've got kind of pretty much the opposite example of that. And that's the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and there's nothing. I'm not saying there's anything. I agree with you 100. percent But there's there's a yeah. the c word, the four letter c word, which is where I'm from is used like liberally by everybody, man, women, the, like the c word. The, but see, now, now you can't even use it on this podcast. Like I have no problem with that word whatsoever. Well, I, like well, if you guys will let me, I'll be the one that breaks the ice and says it. But yeah. You're right. Words is, have powers because we give them power. Yeah. Where, where I'm from, like, like people call it to the dog in a loving manner, but yeah. <laughs> brothers and sisters use it lovingly towards each other. People use it willy-nilly everywhere. But I've noticed when I'm on, on uh, online with some American friends, that there's a real stigma in America about it. In its it's such a dirty word here. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that kind of brings up the whole aspect that, of that is... the fact that nothing is universal either. Uh, so, yeah, we've talked about the difference between some people right. identify with a word that means something different to someone else, but also the, both of those things, things can mean different things in different places too. Right. Yeah. And the idea that that we can make words so touchy that you can't even say it on a podcast without worrying, like, what is the, the fallout? What is going to happen if we say it on this this podcast? And there's a few I can think of. The, the one that I am so tiptoeing around because I have no problem with the C word whatsoever. It's one of my favorite words. I love it. Um, and I like being able to own words. You'll like do that. well in Yorkshire. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I just don't believe in giving words power. But then other people, like you can't deny when other people give them power, right? So like the N word, like mm. that is one I just, like that label is not a label that I would give anyone. And that's not because I have any fear of the word. It's because I have a respect for an entire group of people yeah. who are very sensitive to but that But then word. again, that links as right. well to what you're saying about people taking a word that's been used to describe them in a negative way and flipping it around and using it and themselves. It. Yeah, and owning it. Yeah. That's a really good example of that. Um, yeah. Well, and I like how, how it's, it's used within Black communities that they can say it with each other and stuff. But there's still this sensitivity where people outside um, the black community is still seen as so dirty when, mm-hmm. when we use it. And so I, I don't necessarily think that that's right or fair, but I can, um, acknowledge that that's the case. And I could choose not to use it just because like, to me, the only way in which it will be interpreted is disrespectful. And that's not my intention. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's almost it's like, because... go on. Sorry. I thought you finished. Go. Well, I was going to yeah. say, it's almost like you, you just, you, you gotta, sometimes you gotta acknowledge the truth, of, the truth of the matter. Right. Yeah. And in, in Britain, it's funny because uh, I, I don't remember the exact laws, but there's actually different laws regarding racial slurs, depending on who is using them. If uh, it, it's, it's frowned upon to be used anywhere, there are laws against its use anywhere, but if it's been used within communities, it's treated differently. Uh, yes. If it's used by someone from outside that community, it would be classed as like hate speech or something, wouldn't it? It's those yeah, yeah. Things, I can't right. remember. I've actually read the read up on the law on it, on, and I can't remember. It was a few years ago, and I can't remember the exact like where it stated. It was like subsection one, subsection B, one of those things, and they are actually viewed differently in law, although they are both frowned upon. So yeah, that. Okay. No, go on. Come on. No, I was just going to say that that kind of illustrates how, um, like, it, it shows the, the power that um, social conditioning gives to these various different labels and how, um, like, within one context, it's perfectly okay to say it. Within another context, it's, it's like, absolutely horrendous to say it. I think we may have lost Laura again. Uh, I think so. She'll catch up. <laughs> yeah. 
while uh, while we are, are uh, waiting for Laura, let's have a think about because we're going to take a commercial break shortly. And uh, when we get back from the commercial break, let's have a think because we've talked quite a lot about kind of specific labels and and things like that and how they're used. And but what labels do you think? Uh, this might be quite a difficult question, actually. What labels do you think you might attribute to yourself in the future? I know that's mm. quite difficult because we don't know the, 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 how, how things are going to change in the future, but is, is, uh, let's have a think about what labels we might attribute to ourselves, looking at how we might, might move forward in our lives and how we might change politically, how we might, we might learn new things and choose to attribute labels differently in that manner. We'll speak about that when we come back from a commercial break. We've not got much coming up, I don't think, over the next week. I'm on... Ask an Atheist tomorrow night. Nice! Uh, Good deal. I was supposed to be on that a few months ago, but we had a bit of a problem with scheduling, so it's been rearranged for tomorrow night, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure who's going to be doing it, whether it's going to be Ethan, because uh, Notts Morton has been hosting it in recent weeks, and I'm very excited to be What's on it? And 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 while we're talking about Ethan, I'll just give him a, 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 a shout. I know we do this quite regularly, but it really does facilitate new YouTubers he works a lot with, uh, Oz Tarts channel, and it's, it's such a hard worker. He's by yeah. far the hardest working uh, content creator in our community. It really goes out and pushes out and it puts... Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, yes. we've got you back. <laughs> Welcome back. Have you got anything coming up, Laura? Oh, I don't, honestly. Right, um, going okay. back to work full time, I've actually taken stuff off my schedule so that right. I'm not so worried about um scheduling conflicts and stuff like that so yeah my schedule's clear for now yeah and that's what we were talking about the other week isn't it when we were talking about coming to the end of lockdown and everybody's lives changing completely Mm. and like you know everybody we seem to like all us three especially got into this kind of content creation just as the first like uh like lockdowns and yeah global lockdown and and I and now real life is coming back around and it's it's going to be conflicting a little bit (laughs) (laughs) yeah so anyway well you know go and check out ethan's stuff uh he's he's a brilliant creator he does so much stuff and facilitates so many people please go and check out and while you're doing that you can also bob along to linktree slash skeptic hangout uh, where you can find a link to us on YouTube and Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Stitcher, and all of the podcatchers out there, as well as... Just everywhere. Find, just everywhere. We are, every- we are <laughs> profusely outputting our material onto every every platform available. Um, and while you're there as well, you can also join our Facebook discussion group, um, where you can have some conversations, debates, and discussions around topics that we talk about on the show, as well as sort of just general other stuff as well. Uh, so yeah, go join that. And Fantastic. All of that stuff. Right. So we will catch you shortly, where we were going to be talking about what labels we might apply to ourselves in the future. Okay. okay, so before the uh, commercial break, we asked, what labels do we think we might apply to ourselves in the future? Was that the royal we then, Jilliver? We asked. Yeah. <laughs> we asked. We asked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that is a really super interesting question, right? Because it, it assumes a couple of different things. Like one, it assumes where we're wanting to go and that we know where we're wanting to go. And then it also assumes that we're not there yet, Right. So a label that we'd want to apply in the future, the question then would be, why aren't we applying it now, right? So then it assumes that it's one we haven't achieved yet or it's one that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, because like right? the, the labels that we talked about before, some of them are descriptive of us innately as right. people. So like, you know, I can be described as a Yorkshireman because I was born in Yorkshire and I'm a man. Mm-hmm. But then other things yeah. are 
descriptors of my skills and likes and abilities and desires and whatever else. So yeah, some descriptions that might be applicable to me in the future, things like grandfather. Um, Grandma, which, yep, that was one Yeah, of those sorts of things. So, but that's yep. certainly not a given. But then mm-hmm. also it's like, in terms of usefulness as an identifier for yourself, that would be up there on my bio as one of the, you know, as one of the labels on there if I was a grandfather, because that would be a, a source of pride for me. I imagine, I imagine my grandchildren would be nice enough for me to value that in myself. Um, whereas there are other labels in the future. There are other labels, things like I consider myself a socialist, but then I assume I will continue associating with that label, for example, in the future. But I mean, mm. I statistically, people become more conservative on average as they get older. And so then that makes me think, well, is that the case that my values will change or is it my, you know, there's quite a lot to to that sort of thought process, I guess. Yeah. You know? So the, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, no, Richard. Go I was just going to. Well, I was going to say, exactly Laura, we because can of hear that. You. Like... you get talking. and hopefully it won't freeze now because this phone has full service and we should be good to go um but anyway um should have just started with this phone but um so going along with what you were saying like yeah there's there's some labels that i can think of like grandma that like are are not guaranteed but are pretty likely to come up in the future just based on like the trajectory of my life but then there's also like i am so hesitant to adopt labels or even try to adopt labels that are, are political or religious or ideological so i don't particularly see any labels in the future in that respect that I want to take on or that I think I'll take on although knowing me I probably eventually will um just because I do like to group associate or like community associate so once I find that group I am likely to associate with them um but the one that I see the most for me is like author I really want to be a published author right so um when I think of labels in the future I think of goals like I want to be retired right? Like that label. I want to be a published author. Um, I want to, to be um, like a better rock climber. So right now I wouldn't even call myself a climber. Um, but that's something that I want to achieve eventually. So those are the kinds of labels that I can think of for the future are all around like achievements that I haven't achieved yet. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Very much so, yeah. Um, so when I thought of this question, I kind of it had nothing to do with kind of the answers that you've given. I was oh, interesting. More, which, That's so which cool. is really, I was thinking more, and although I didn't have a definitive label in mind, I mm. was thinking more about the fact that, and one issue that came up that I've, I'm, I'm not ignorant on, but it, it's an issue that I, uh, I, could, I could learn so much more about. And I love, I love listening to people who, who are authorities on it. And it's, it's the trans issue. It's something I don't know much about. I'm really excited to learn more about. And it's something that, although I don't have in mind whether I'd I'd, I'd use the term ally or something along those lines, it's something that I can see in the future, uh, labels coming out that might apply to me in regards to that. Uh, I like that. As as I learn more about it and, uh, and become more educated on it. And of, of course, the, the hopefully grandfather one, although I am incredibly <laughs> old now, and whether I'll, alive is one I'd like to use in the future. The alive. I, I like to continue to use that label. <laughs> yeah. But I like that you brought up the LGBT stuff because there, those labels are constantly changing and, and, and um, evolving and being invented as people think of yeah, new yeah. ways of expressing themselves. And so... You're kind of right. Like I have a lot of labels around my sexuality. Like I consider myself very gender fluid. Um, I don't have a lot of dysmorphia, but I do have like curiosity in, in terms of like, hey, I'm okay being a woman, curious about what it would be like to be a man. And I sort of have that little drive, but I don't have the same dysmorphia that a trans person would have. So yeah. I call myself more gender fluid, but there may be a better term for me out there. Um, I call myself pansexual where I used to call myself bisexual because I didn't know there was a distinction between the two. I didn't even know there was more than you know, gay, straight, or bisexual. But the whole thing about bi so is interesting more. as well, isn't it? Because like some yeah. people use the term bi to mean pan. Just to clarify for people who don't right. know the difference. So like bisexual in, implies that you're interested sexually in both men and women, whereas pansexual mm-hmm. people use to mean that it's sort of trans inclusive and that it's not, it's sort of everyone as opposed to just identifying as men and women. 
Whereas right. I think lots of people who use the term by may mean it in the pan sense, but then correct. I, uh, but it's again hard to know, isn't it, because of definitions mm-hmm. and you know perspectives. It's very interesting actually because yeah. there's a there's a couple. I'll not name them, but there's a couple that we're all familiar with. Uh, 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 one uh, one associates uh, themselves with the label they them, and mm-hmm. their partner. Uh, has spoken publicly about how he found it difficult to uh, apply the label bisexual to himself because of the status of his partner. And it took him a long time to come to terms with that. And it's it's that education, people speaking publicly about it, that we need more of an open subject. And there are some great content creators talking about this at the moment. Uh, you've yeah. got Arden of Eden, and have you worked with Arden on uh, the nonprofits? So, I've worked with Arden a few different times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and Katie Montgomery, yeah. and people like that, and there were a lot of people talking about this stuff uh, uh, and educating on what the different things are. Yeah, um, and those labels can be very, very confusing, and and there there's not a lot of literature or education out there about them. I think it's getting better. But I didn't know about a lot of these labels until I took an anthropology of gender class. And I was like, oh, here's like six or seven labels that apply to me that I've never applied to myself before because I didn't even know they existed or I hadn't reflected on it enough to give what I was thinking or feeling a label. Which which kind of makes me think of that whole thing of like actual labels as a tool for self-identification purposes. Like you were saying, like maybe labels come across, you come across a label that you've not heard before that then suddenly opens your eyes to an aspect of yourself that maybe you weren't aware of before, for example. I think that's possibly the sort of thing you were talking about. Yeah, and I think like Jilliver, the fact that that's what you were thinking of and that Gil and I went in completely different directions um, I think it's really cool that you thought of it in that way because that spurs a whole nother lane of discussion about the evolution of labels, right? Oh, yeah. And how they're kind of ever-changing. They're always being created. And then once they're created, they're very fluid. Like maybe by in the past, was it was too limiting of a label. So it applied to everybody, um, including people who now would identify as pan, right? So that label encompassed so many people that these sub-labels kind of broke out to break them down even further and increase understanding. So when I say, hey, I'm pansexual, that instantly gives people information that they don't have if I say I'm bisexual. Um, And it gives them a lot more information than if I don't just tell them at all and people just assume I'm straight because I'm married to a man, right? Um, So yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't know, it's interesting the, 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 the way that labels are evolving so quickly in regards to um sexuality and gender and and even um what would you call it cultural labels you know yeah the, um, the reason i the reason i thought of that question is because yeah. i i have I, I don't have a difficulty with the concept i understand the concept and I, i'm right. supportive of the community absolutely 100 percent behind the community but yeah. i'm aware that there's so much i don't know I'm, I'm aware of my own ignorance on the topic and that's what spurred me to ask the question but re- regarding not knowing and uh, certainly in where I live it's it's still a very taboo subject and it's not spoken yeah. about at all and even if it is it's usually in a derogatory manner I you don't know, know if I would use the word taboo to describe it as much as there is just such a vast amount of ignorance that it just doesn't come up in conversation. It doesn't get talked about. There is, but the, the point I was about to make was it's not just kind of your, your, your kind of old coal mining Yorkshire, like racist, like intrinsically racist and homophobic people who are, who are ignorant of it. I, I've got a lot, of, or I've, I've had a lot of things to do with ladies' football teams, which contain a high proportion of gay women. And mm-hmm. there's some real, real like uh, resentment towards trans community in in with oh the, for sure still yeah like, lesbians. There's, there's, I, I noticed a lot of like gay women are really like against this idea of the trans community, and it's something I find really puzzling because it's a community that themselves had prejudice, so much prejudice in the past. And I just wondered on what your thoughts on that were on that more that 
you know, there, there are a lot of kind of white, you know, coal mining racist like old miners <laughs> who are like against it. But what about the people who should be accepting it and should be getting behind it and and supporting right. people? What are your thoughts on those that community? So within within the LGBT community, I think the one thing that that teaches us, maybe specifically in regards to labels, but also in regards to communities, is that we're all pretty equal at the end of the day in terms of our shortcomings, right? Like there, there aren't very many communities, they are out there, but there aren't very many communities that are wholly accepting or are entirely non-biased or non-bigoted or whatever. Like, um, and we're talking communities abroad, broad. Yeah, yeah. Like in general, we just, we don't tend to like what we don't understand, right? So you can be a very, very accepting person um, in all other regards, but say, um, say that the gay female community in general, like there's, there's a percentage of those women that just don't understand trans, just like there's a percentage of straight women and straight men that don't understand trans, right? So just because you're in a community that might be more inclusive in some ways, it's important for us to remember that we all still have, um, we're still ignorant. Like there's still so much we don't know. And when there's something like that, that's really um, contentious, um, you're not going to get acceptance automatically just because they are like, just because you're in a community that might also be um, minim minimized. Which leads me to thinking you're... about that, that, those community labels, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah. And you know, when people are labeled as part of the black community or the gay community or the, um, mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, all the sorts of- Asian American. Asian American yeah. community. And, and actually, we talk about these communities as if they are sort of, I don't know, labels can be so descriptive and expansive, but then sometimes labels can be really like boxing in people to have, mm. you know, where it gives us a very specific and limited idea about what those people are or stand for or, or what have you. So we talk about the LGBT community. And I think like you were saying, Jennifer, if we're talking about the LGBT community and those people who are anti-trans that you were talking about before, we expect that because they're part of the LGBT community that they therefore should be pro-trans and pro all this. Whereas it doesn't mean that at all necessarily just because they're under that umbrella box of being <laughs> in that community. Um, and often the we talk about labeling people as being part of these broad sweeping communities because it's like, I guess, necessary for conciseness in conversation and talking about things. But often I think that can be just more limiting and actually I don't know, potentially causes more problems than it solves. And there's also a lot of confusion. This is where labels actually become more confusing and less helpful is there's a lot of confusion when you lump in everything into the LGBT community, for example, or Asian American or black American. And we fail to see that within those communities, there's so much diversity, right? So sex and gender and sexual attraction are all three very, very different things. So who you're sexually attracted to may have nothing to do with your sex or your gender, right? And your gender may have nothing to do with who you're sexually attracted to. Like they all just, they're all such separate issues. And yet we lump them all together into um, LGBT. And it's good in the sense that it gives all of them more power. It's like power in numbers, yeah. right? And it, it kind of gets more attention to each one of them individually by giving them all attention at once. But at the same time, we have to remember that um, just because a person has a sexuality, for example, where they're, they are attracted to someone of the same sex or they're attracted to someone of the opposite sex that says nothing about their understanding of gender yeah. right and and how gender affects them or, or how they identify with their gender I think um, they're just often, two separate issues. statistically speaking people who we would lump in that lgbt community possibly and probably are more likely to be you know sort of more clued in as to all these sorts of mm -hmm. issues and may have done more research and be, you know, read up on it and right. stuff, but that's certainly not the case. And you kind of, but you kind of would assume that from. Well, you know, it is, but it's a generalization. Level. Yeah. Yeah. You and, know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of science coming out and in, in support of the kind of, uh, 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 the things that Laura was talking about identity and, and the difference mm -hmm. between sex and identity and gender there's a lot of new science coming out, which a lot of people aren't aware of. It's just not getting the kind of public push it needs. It's not, it's not like there's an asteroid heading for Earth kind of headline, is it? You know? I mean? Right, right. And, and it should be. 
it should be and because these communities deserve and and should be recognized for being who they are and yeah and it, they're just not and it's so i was uh slightly going off that community but i was uh i was watching a video today actually with uh, jenna mayo uh and uh she was talking about um I, I love the work she does. It's fantastic. She's also been on the nonprofits, and that, I believe the mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like Richard brings up Laura's reunion show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, she's brilliant, Jenna. I absolutely adore her. And she's, uh, she yeah. was talking about how, how, like, being atheist in the black community, it's something that is such a taboo in America. Oh, because for sure. It, yeah. It's, like, it, it's the black community is so intrinsically like, together with the Christian community, that to say you're atheist is almost like announcing that you're leaving the black community. And right. It's, it's so amazing when, you, when you're not part of those communities. You, it takes so much education to understand, even if you're on, on their side, it takes so yeah. much education to understand, and you'll never fully understand it. You'll never be able to stand exactly in their shoes but you can support and facilitate them. And there's just not enough of that going on. And I think education really needs to be pushed forward so that people understand far more. Uh, and I, so after that long kind of rambling run, make me have actually got a question to do with that. Is how do you think... I, I do too. How do you think we should go to about uh, both us as, as content creators and people who are in mainstream media and in government, how do you think the best way to proceed in, in normalising uh, those communities goes? Well, and and before we answer that question, because I, I like that question, I just wanted to throw out the one that I have, um, kind of around what you were saying, like within the communities, is, um, and this, just think about while we're answering your question, is um, how much of it do you think is educating within the public school and within social media and how much of it is family and community educating, right? And, and I'll, I'll expand on that more later, but I wanted to throw that out there now before we answered your question, just because I know I'm going to lose it. Um, well, so just something for you guys to think about. It's hard, isn't it? Because I think a lot of those ideas, there's then that discussion of, is it something that it should find its place in public school systems? Is it the sort of thing that should find its place in people's living rooms that they talk about as a family. Um, And not in terms of sort of discussing appropriateness or anything like that, because I think all of it is appropriate for everyone. But like, yeah, like I think for a government to say we need to talk about this and prioritise this, and obviously we're talking in general terms here, but I think it's just a lot of its opinion and priority, isn't it, in terms of, this is the thing they want to normalise. And when we're talking about labels specifically and when we're talking about terminology that, like we've said, changes all the time and adapts and uh, all those sorts of things, I think it's really difficult to address sort of whole hog in a way. Yeah. So so to go back to um, Jilliver's question about like what do we do as content creators, um, and I think that I can actually wrap kind of both up all in one. Um, as content creators, I think the best we can do is talk about it and be open about it. And if we do have any sort of biases, maybe try to identify them, maybe try to ask about them or, or, or learn more about them, yeah. or at least be honest about them. And then the other thing is to get people to work <coughs> with us that are parts of these different communities and to get them to talk on their own behalf instead of us talking for them. Yeah. So like, I can talk night and day about like how much I support the trans community but am I really educating other people just by lending my support or would it be even more impactful if I had trans people on to talk about that kind of stuff where you're hearing it directly from the person who's experiencing it and not just from this other person who heard through the grapevine, that that's what this is like. Right. so I think it's kind of twofold um, as content creators between lending our own voices of support, but also using our platforms to give those people in those communities, their own voices. Um, and then what we talked about, my question and how they kind of tie together, um, I really think that the reason why some of these things change so slowly is because family and community tends to have a stronger connection in people's heads than just education and social media. So what you learn from your family, what you learn from your community, you tend to learn deeper and it becomes more ingrained in you. So yes. when you do hear something on social media that disagrees with it, you have to hear it relentlessly and a lot and in certain ways in order to start to 
disagree with with the um the status quo that's been established for you right? <coughs> it takes a lot more effort so we can just smash pro whatever community or group all over the internet and all over the news and stuff but it's going to take a hell of a lot of it to break through the social barriers that are established by family friends community churches whatever yeah, so and I, I think, think that's it, where we're sorry continue sorry no, I was almost done. I was going to say, I think that, um, that that we're fighting an uphill battle and it's just going to take longer because of it. You're breaking down people one at a time. Yeah, and I think that's where education comes into it. It's like, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember the kind of the first long, big run I had. I don't know if it was episode one or two way back when we first began and I had a big, long run about education. And I think this is one, yeah. of, those, this is one of those issues which falls into that same category. This is something that needs to be taught in schools. It's something that we're not going to change everybody's mind overnight. There's going to be a lot of resistance to it. It's one of those issues where it's the next generation who we're going to push forward and be the ones who normalize it. Get it taught in schools. Get these yeah. issues brought up out in the open in the school environment so the children are talking about it, so the children yeah. understand it. And as the children grow older and all the old fuddy-duddies <laughs> who, who, who have resistance it's to it. one person getting old and dying at a time, right? It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the way forward. It, it's, it's the education, that, and I think yeah. that's definitely get it normalised in schools. I certainly, I, I, as I've already said, I need a lot of education on trans issues myself. I definitely do. I'm 100% supportive of the community. I don't fully understand all the issues and the nuances that go on about it. But you're willing to understand. Certainly educate my children. So support those people. I think it's it's vitally important. I mean, my kids have got gay aunties. So they're they're already, I mean, they're five and they're eight, my children. And they already, they, you know, same-sex relationships are already normalized to them they don't think anything anything at all of people in the same sex being in a relationship they understand right and i think and i love to say i love that you use the term normalize you use it several times while you were talking yeah because it's not just about like oh here's this exotic thing that you need to learn about here's this thing that like i mean it's not like we should teach lgbt issues as though we're teaching about like say china or indonesia or somewhere yeah. where it's like far away and it's exotic and it's different we need to normalize it like you said where if you're just surrounded by it if it's just part of your social media experience it's part of your family experience part of your friend experience it's just in movies or on tv or in video games but it's not highlighted it's not put in your face it's just part of the the worlds that we create, the imaginary worlds that we create, then it becomes less um, mysterious. Like what you're talking about with your kids, they're just used to it because they're around it, right? Um, So instead of making it like this big issue, one thing we could do is just make it normal, like make it part of our everyday lives. Yeah, and it's just occurred to me that the episode we've got the episode about labels, and what we're saying is smash those labels and just make it normal. So we don't need to use labels to describe people who have a different lifestyle to the ones that are currently normalized to us. Let's normalize them so they're not different. It's not necessarily about smashing them; it's about um, taking away people's power to use them negatively like make them just so every day that it's normal like, yeah, like you don't smash the label with, yeah. woman just because you use it normally yeah, yeah. but but so, trans woman might be one that still needs to be used a little bit more often before it becomes as normal as woman i, I see. hear lots online about you know like people who um identify as gay um mm-hmm. like the fact that people have to come out as gay because the normal right. label for people is heterosexual and mm-hmm. the fact that they identify with a different label means that they have to announce to people in order for people to know that about them and I think it's really interesting sort of going back to something you were talking about before um I realized and I know we've sort of gone down an LGBT thing but I think all the labels things are really relevant to this Um, right the I realized a few years ago that I'd my eldest son who's now 10 must have been like four or five and he said something it came up in conversation about boys who kiss boys and he thought that was gross and his mind couldn't get around it and he didn't understand it <laughs> and it was like one of those like libel moments where I was like every book we have in our house is straight and heteronormative yeah. everything he sees on tv is straight and heteronormative 
every mm-hmm. story that I tell him that I know from my childhood, like fairy tales and whatever, are all wow. straight and heteronormative. And like all of that is kind of not like, not my fault, but like, because everything by default is that, is right. then, what's the point I'm trying to make? Like, because things are labelled as like gay films or homosexual right. literature or it's got these extra labels which make it some somehow different I think there is a, a thing where people often feel like well I don't want to watch that film because it's a gay film as opposed to just like being a romance film or just being a film you know and I'm not saying I have that pushback because I absolutely don't but it was just me realizing that actually, I need yeah. to actively I need to actively embrace those things in order to normalize that aspect mm-hmm. of, of, of people and those sorts of labels within my children because otherwise they are going to see people who are labeled as all those things as different and separate as opposed to just you know people just one more yeah one more yeah. way of doing life yeah 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 you talk about the whole like coming out thing um that is one thing that i've told my kids is like whatever your label is you decide like how you you show people and how you express it to people and who and when and all that stuff. Um, but one thing, like I saw a meme on Facebook today that I thought was really cool. I and mean, I might be getting off subject just a little bit, but the meme basically said, um, I don't want you to come to me and come out and say, mom, I'm gay, right? Like just bring your boyfriend home the same <coughs> as you bring home a girlfriend and say, hi, yeah. this is so-and-so my boyfriend. And I'll be like, yeah. cool, let's have some sodas, right? <laughs> like there, it should be no different bringing home a, a partner of the same sex as bringing home a partner of the opposite sex or bringing home multiple partners or whatever the case may be. Like you don't have to out yourself with it. Just do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think that's intrinsically linked to those labels, isn't it? You know, like, but, and then on the opposite side of that, those labels are still kind of important because like uh, people still nowadays are fighting for rights for gay people and trans people and lesbians and pan and all, all of those are the labels and stuff. So in the one sense, we're kind of arguing that the labels shouldn't and don't matter and to minimise the sort of impact they should have. But then on the other hand, they actually still really, really do matter for the people involved in, you know, the rights and liberties and freedoms of those people as well. And Sorry, Laura, we're gone. I was going to say the only difference I would say with what you were just saying is I don't think that the labels are unimportant. I think they're very important. I think there's a difference between making a label unimportant or irrelevant and making a label normal. So when we say normalizing, I don't think that in any I way that's means... what I meant. Okay, yeah, because you were saying like make it um, unimportant or whatever. I, can't I, think, the word, the I think when I said and... unimportant, I mean it's in like unimportant in, in terms of like obviously the way we treat people or things you know like unimportant in terms of personal relationships between people like if someone is gay in your life that that is almost unimportant in terms of like it shouldn't how you relate to them yeah 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 yeah. that's and how you treat them yeah 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 yeah. Uh, going back to i know we're we're coming to the end of the show now but uh relating to what richard said earlier way back in the show uh, said said about uh, labels being different as we go around the world and normalising uh, same-sex relationships and trans people is something that is really different. That's something that has real extremes in different parts of the world and, and in yeah. different cultures. And Absolutely. I think if, if we are to make a change, we need to normalise it in our own culture to lead by example because we're not going to be able to walk into those places and say, this is normal. Because, <laughs> just, just because not. it's not yet. That's, that's it's not it. yet. Yeah, we have a long way to go. I remember my, my 11-year-old son asked me a few months ago, he's like, mom, why do some people hate gay people? And it was he was baffled. He couldn't understand it. And I had to yeah. sit there and have a conversation about um, like our history and how we've treated people in the past and our own, like our own cultural... Um, biases and taboos and stuff and he was because i've never exposed him to any sort of hate for any sort of group of people he couldn't fathom why other people would feel that way yeah i've i know my uh my best friend's a gay uh, a lesbian and she uh she i know when she goes on holiday to other places uh she they they have to check what the laws are before they go Man. to to see if it's okay for them to hold hands in public or kiss in public or 
any of those things because you just don't know. You don't know when you go into these yeah. other places what their laws or rules are on it. Yeah, we still have a long way to go. Yeah, most definitely. Richard, Gil. Um, hello. Um, yeah, and I think, <laughs> and I think, sorry, I just sort of zoned out. I think that's where as well that, that point of labels have power becomes apparent because labels in terms of identity for ourselves are important but also as a point to rally around, um, to push forward, you know, positive change in society is also an incredibly important part of it. Um, whether that's for racial equality or freedom for people of different sexual orientations or identities. Um, and without the labels there in place, I don't think any progress in those sorts of areas would be as easy because there's not right. that, like say, point to rally around. But um yeah, this has been a really interesting conversation. Yeah. And <laughs> it, as we were saying earlier, it's one that came up quite, it's the first one we've done, which has kind of been just thought up on the on the floor mid-conversation in an episode. And we've decided well, yeah. to go with it and see where we'd go with it. I mean, we really could have done the whole last episode just on labels because it was just something that was so relevant to the topic that we were discussing. And um, we're not mentioning humanism at once today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it would seem so obvious if all three of us just labeled ourselves as humanists and the fact yeah, that we do struggle with whether or not to label ourselves as this or that um within like say the atheist community or the skeptic community that we do still have certain labels that we we wrestle with um yeah. i think that this was more of an extension of last week's episode even more so than than like its own specific episode or at least i hope it i hope it tied in well because i think that the two discussions together um tie really well together great so final thoughts and on on labels mcgee labels i would say good bad and neutral there's there's a lot of use for labels um we are by nature categorizing animals and so it's something that we do just naturally without even thinking about it. And it has relevance. I would say in terms of my feelings on labels, I'd say be careful with them because they can be used to un- misunderstand people. They can be used to segregate people or to separate them and make them the others. Or they can be used to help understand people and be more compassionate towards them and understand them without needs for long explanations. So um, I think that like every single other social construct, they're... Um, it's what you do with them that makes them good or bad. I think my, my sort of final thoughts are that I think it's, yeah, it can be useful to uh, sort of tell people labels that you apply to yourself. And obviously when you're in conversation with people, you know, you, you kind of sometimes have to apply labels to other people. But if people are using the label, I think it's ever more important to really understand what they mean by that label and not to assume things on top based on your own sort of biases and prejudices uh, yeah. and your own past so yeah really understanding what people are meaning when they when they use a certain word or phrase i think is really important yeah i agree with you both and i, I think agree just following on what from what richard says i think if you if you don't understand be willing to be educated and ask questions and and yes. just be willing to sit down and listen that's the best way to learn sit down listen talk to people who use labels that you might not be familiar with and get their perspective because they're living it yeah Oh, yeah, that reminds me. I just want to add Jill over really quickly. Like, use a label yourself to help people to understand you. Like, say, oh, I'm this or I'm that as a way of communicating to understand you better. But when someone else is using a label, don't make any assumptions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I like that. Like, ask questions, ask what they mean about it, ask them to expand on it. Because I'm pretty sure that most people who use a label to describe themselves would be very happy to explain what they mean by that. You know, it's absolutely. It, yeah, I think it's taking away those assumptions and being open to other people's ideas and interpretations, I think is just one of the most valuable things you can do. Yeah. I like it. Mickey, yeah. thank you for joining us on your break. We do appreciate it. <laughs> From the no, I am so glad I was able to do this. I know we had some trouble last week getting our second episode done and this week is our um, 4th of July weekend. So I'm glad I was able to still join you guys and still enjoy my 4th of July. Yeah. Um, I got the best of both worlds, and I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, we and I hope that the blips in the beginning it. weren't too, too bad. Yeah, we apologize but, um, to, to the viewers and the listeners for the technical difficulties. We don't. We don't, but Laura should. I do. 
I, I deeply apologize <laughs> for being unapologetically me. I am very apologetic about the tech issues earlier. Um, uh, we'll be, we'll no, be back. Hopefully it'll just add character to this episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week, hopefully with the special guest we were supposed to have this week, which was due to schedule anticipation. Uh, yeah, you don't know what it is yet. Uh, they're still fantastic. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so unfortunately, due to a, a, a few scheduling hiccups, we uh, had to postpone them, but you've got this wonderful episode instead now. So lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we will see you all next week. And until then, we are Laura. Richard. And Richard. And this has been Skeptic Hangout. Until next time. Keep questioning. Interrogate your beliefs. And stay skeptical. Bye. Bye.